millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Philip West and as Sunland's pre-season campaign heads towards its conclusion, we decided to sit down and record a podcast to talk about how things have gone, how the squad's looking, our hopes for the Coventry game. And to do this, I'm joined by my good friend Gavin Henderson. How are you this afternoon, Gav? Well, I'd be better if Sunland had won against Atherton, but uh, yeah, not bad, mate, not bad. Um, to be fair, and we'll get into this, like, I don't place a lot of emphasis on actual results in pre-season and I'm not going to really allow that to affect my thinking as we're heading to the Coventry game too much, I don't think. So, yeah, all right. I think we've we've had a half-decent pre-season, haven't we? It's not been too bad. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good place to start because obviously we've only got one pre-season game left now against Hartlepool, which I think it's fair to say will probably feature a much-changed eleven from the team that played against Akron today. Mm, yeah. But if we, if we just take a look back over our pre-season results... Um, it's been mixed, as you said. Obviously, we started with that somewhat farcical game against Rangers that was abandoned when the meter ran out of uh, pennies in Portugal, <laughs> um, during which we played quite well for the first half, actually, before yeah, it was abandoned. Yeah. Don't forget, just before that, I know they weren't really classed as games, were they? But we played two sort of training games against That's right, uh, behind those doors Blythe games, and Gateshead, yes. which I know that they've not really been counted as games, but they were still games of football that we won. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah, know. they all count. And then obviously we had the game against Roma, during which uh, we looked quite good in periods, but ultimately their class eventually told. Then we came back to the UK, played Dundee, played quite well in that one, got the victory. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the last week we've had two rather disappointing defeats against Bradford and then today against Akron. So just to start off, Gav, I just wanted to get your views on the pre-season as a whole, how you think we're shaping up, how you think certain players have performed, who's shown, who's maybe not taken the chances that Alex Neal's given them. Because for me... It's as if he's really wanted to give every player as good a chance or as fair a chance as he possibly can ahead of this season starting. He's been saying to them effectively, I'll give you as much game time as I can. You've got to show me that you're worthy of selection. So what do you think yeah. about that? Do you think that that was the right approach from Alex Neal? Yeah, I think to be fair, like if you actually look back maybe with a couple of days thinking space over the particularly the Atrington and the Bradford defeats, Alex Neal stuck pretty much with the players that were out there. You know, he did make a couple of handful of changes later in both games, but you could tell primarily that the overall point of the exercise was to get minutes in the legs. Yeah. That's not to say that the, there was nothing to pick out of those games and, and sort of work on or be disappointed about. I mean, the defending in both games for the goals that we conceded were horrific, but, you know, that's something to work on. And I, I, I said this earlier, like, I would rather he has something to think about going into that last week than being totally content. 
like by contrast, you know, Coventry have won every game in pre-season. Their pre-season record is seven wins from seven games. So they're the polar opposite to us in in that effect, in that they're probably very confident, you know, riding high, doing after doing quite well. But we've got something to think about. And the Hartlepool game on Monday, depending on when people listen to this podcast, it may have been played by then. But I mean, to be fair, it's going to be Tret probably in the same way as the Bradford game. Yes. In that it's just another opportunity to get minutes into players who didn't get them in the game previous. So the Atrington game, we picked what I would say is our strongest team. And I think pretty much anyone would agree that was probably... You can, you can argue over a couple of positions, but generally speaking, that's about as strong as it gets. Probably look at right back and debate over who the best man to play right back is at the minute. And you could probably say Bailey Wright's position's up for grabs. And knowing how Dan Neal's been trekked by... So Alex Neal, since he came in, there's no given that he'll play in the Coventry game. But yeah, generally speaking, that's pretty much the team where you expect to see play Coventry, give or take a few positions. But this Hartlepool game on Monday now, the players who are going to feature in it, and they've probably been told well in advance, look, you're not going to play Saturday, but you're going to play or start the game on Monday. It's a sign to them players, like, look, these lads have lost at the weekend. Positions are still up for grabs. You can still, yeah. you can still grasp the opportunity and and grab the manager's attention and play well in that Hartlepool game, you might start in the first game of the season against Coventry in front of the TV cameras. So it's not a bad position to be in, really. Because if we go to Hartlepool on Monday and three or four players really stand out and do well who might not necessarily have been in the thinking for being picked, they may give them something to think about. So, yeah, overall, I think we've had a very stop-start pre-season. I think the fact that we got... And a lot of teams have done this, have played games behind closed doors. I think the fact that... That's why I brought the Blythe and the Gator games up, because I actually think when you consider the fact that the the Rangers game, we only got 45 minutes of football in that one, I actually think it's quite important that those two games were played before we even went out. Although there were only, I think, uh, 45-minute games, maybe. I don't think there were... There weren't full-length games. It might have been an hour or something, I'm not sure. But... um, it was important that the players got those minutes in their legs because by the time we played Rangers, obviously we only got 45 minutes in. But yeah, played well against Rangers. Roma, we were all right, but as you said, their class showed. Dundee, I thought, were excellent. Bradford was a change team, I think, after that game, I said, to be honest. I would be surprised if many, if any of these players start the Coventry game anyways. So I sort of, that goes down my priority list a little bit. The opening game, obviously, yeah, I think we can feel a little bit more disappointed by the way that one panned out. But, as I said at the very start of this very long point, it's about minutes in the legs and where Accrington were throwing players on and changing things up, Alex Neal was very determined to get certain players to play 90 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, although we were the best team in the first half, we had loads of chances. You're not going to maintain those levels right throughout a game, you know, particularly in pre-season. The players are, are very mindful of the fact that they just need to keep fit, be ready. And a lot of that's to do yeah. with fitness. And yeah, I think... Ultimately, would I have liked to have seen us win a few more? Absolutely. But I'm not going to throw my toys out the pram, Phil, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of good points that you made there, Gavin. The, the, the first of which that I'd like to kind of expand on is this idea that the old maxim of, well, it's better to get these mistakes out of the way in pre-season, shake off the rust, so then when you come to the first game, you know, you're fully ready and you've, you know, you've you've got the mistakes out and you're ready to go. And, you know, just looking at the game against Akron, both of the goals that they scored came from Errors, defensive errors from Sunderland, the first of which Bailey Wright hauled down his man, concedes a penalty, they score, 
And then the second goal, there's a bit of a defensive scramble in the box. Or Nyan's caught with his body shape all wrong. Lee Howie wasn't happy with that, by the way, was he? No, he was furious. I have to say, I just like to say that I thought Lee Howie's commentary on the core commentary was excellent. It was very down to earth and it was very, very, yeah. um, it was forthright to put it mildly. Really good to listen to. But yeah, there is that argument, isn't there, Gav, that you know you can get your hopes too high in pre season. You know, for example, if you look back to 2013 when. You know, the infamous game against Tottenham in the Barclays Asia Trophy when David Moberg Carlson looked like a world beater. We'd gone mad in the transfer market. They come back and everybody's excited, etc. And then we have a really bad start of the season. So I think there's that kind of measure, that kind of tempering of, you know, your expectations when it comes to the first game of the season versus how you've appeared in pre-season. Do you mm. think that's fair? Do you think that you can, if we'd have gone on a, on a, on a really long and beaten streak in, this, in pre-season and beaten the teams we were supposed to beat, maybe drawn with Roma... Do you think that might have given people the false impression of how good we actually were? Or do you think people's kind of expectations have been tempered anyway? Uh, possibly. I think if you look, you've just mentioned one season in particular there which stands out. But if you look right down the years, I don't think, I think what's clear is there's no set pattern. Like I've just mentioned before, Coventry have won seven out of seven. But does that really mean anything when it comes to playing us? Not, yeah. not particularly, no. <laughs> you know, because we're going to have pretty much a full stadium of light. It's on TV, lots of pressure. It's a Sunday game. It's not, you know, in amongst the other three o'clock games on the Saturday. It's this has been tre- a little. So it, that is a totally different situation to get your head around. Yes, as a player. And if Sunderland, you know, we had a great home record last year. We come flying out the blocks in front of the fans like we did. You know, when when we had a, last had a big crowd at home against uh, Chef Wed. That's going to be hard to deal with. So, you know, none of those games that Coventry have played have really set them up for the occasion that they're going to face when they play us. Likewise, yeah. Sunderland have played... I mean, the Atrington game, there was more Sunderland fans in the ground than there was Atrington. Bradford was a low crowd. Dundee was a low crowd. There was nobody really in Portugal for the two games there. This is what I mean. I mean, Alex Neal's going to come away and he's going to look at every... He's not going to just look at the Atrington game. He's going to look at every, every game in pre-season and he's going to try and work out where certain players are maybe not up to scratch and and try and iron those things out but it would be impossible for him to do that before the first game it never works that way which is why normally those first couple of games in the season are a bit up in the air and that's not just Sunderland that's any team so yeah I've got a feeling that it'll be totally different and like I've already said to be fair it gives the players something to think about gives them something to work on it keeps them on their toes you know there's nobody in pre-season other than maybe Dan Ballard and Dennis Serkin and you could argue Patson because he doesn't have any competition, but really Ballard and Serkin for me have probably been the standouts in pre-season in terms of performances. Other than that, you know, you could make a case that not anyone's really guaranteed to start. You know, Ross Stewart's just got his first goal. He's guaranteed to start because we don't have another striker. But like I say, you know, certain players have played well, but certain players haven't played so well. It yeah. isn't going to count for much when we when we play Coventry. We've got a like I I, know, I totally get it, and you'll have seen the same that there's been a, and as there is after every defeat, like Sunderland have lost, so people are upset, people are angry, people are looking for answers. Doesn't matter if it's a pre-season game or not. We could have been playing tiddlywinks, and people would have been upset if we got beat, because that's just yeah. the nature of being really passionate about your football club, and I totally get it. But when you boil it all down, everyone's got the same sort of concerns, not just us, but the manager, people behind the scenes. So, you know, people coming away from that day will probably be thinking, well, we could do with some more players. We all know that. The manager knows that. He's been asked about it after the game again, as he has been after every pre-season game. How's things going with transfers? 
our recruitment team, our, our sporting director, they all know we need more players. What we don't know as fans is how much is going on behind the scenes. They're not just sitting on their hands. This isn't a case of, you know, Kirill's not prepared to spend any money. Because we've seen already we've spent quite a lot of money comparatively to other teams in the championship on just a handful yeah. of players. So there's obviously money there to spend. It's just a case of can we get the players that we actually want right now? Obviously we can't or we'd have them through the door. And it's natural to panic about that. But we're doing the same thing last year and then look at the run we had at the start of the season. Everybody was yeah. concerned that we didn't have enough yet come sort of the end of August into September. I think by the end of September we lost one game and everybody had the same concerns this time last year as they do now. It's totally understandable. I wouldn't any anybody listening to this who doesn't feel slightly concerned that we don't have enough right now would be lying, I think. I think we're all got yeah. to varying degrees, but yeah, we're concerned. But right now, yeah, we are probably three, four players short in the squad, but we've still got a good enough team to go and play Coventry next weekend. A team that yeah. we know is cohesive, can play together. You know, it's pretty much the same team that finished the season, Bar Ballard, that started the game at Atrington. Those players know each other, they know that they've got to be better. And to be honest, my total lack of panic comes down to the manager. I think he, he knows better than anybody what the strengths and weaknesses are of this team. And I've got a lot of faith in him, as most people do. Yeah. Well, I think that the point we made there, or the point that you made there, Gav, about the makeup of the team leads us on to the next point I wanted to make, which is obviously the transfer window. There's still quite a bit of time to go in the window. So it's not as if we're in the kind of the final knockings. There is still yeah. some time. And obviously, after the game, Christian Speakman did get some, you know, the hurry up from some supporters on social media saying that he's got to pull some blinders out, etc., etc. And we are short, as you said, Gav. You know, there's no doubt about that at all. You know, we are lacking numbers in certain areas. We do need to help uh, ease the goal scoring burden on Ross Stewart. But as you rightly say, the fact of the matter is is that they're going about their transfer business in a much more low-key and, I would say, quietly efficient way nowadays. And the signing of AJ Alisa, who came in from West Ham a few uh, weeks ago, you know, that it was teased 15 minutes before it was announced and then all of a sudden a photo appears on social media, we've signed him, and everybody's scrambling on their phones on the Google to see who this person is. Mm-hmm. So I think that they, are, they have overhauled the way of going about the transfer business now. The scattergun... As one of our uh, lads said in a group chat with everyone, has been put back into the cupboard. Do you think that is the right way going forward? Because you've you've vehemently backed the youth development policy that we've that we've put in place. Now you've been quite vociferous about this. You've you've written about it. You've spoken about it on pods, and you say that it's the right way to go. And do you think, even though this season is going to be a challenge without a doubt, do you still think that we've got the potential there in these young players that can develop and thrive with us? Oh, absolutely. I think we signed players last year with the intention of them being championship players a year or two down the line anyways. I mean, Dennis Serkin's probably the best example of that. We heard how brilliant this lad was as a youth player, but he was totally untested as a as a pro. And to be fair, his first season as a son and player, he had COVID. I think his dad had just died and he'd had all that yes. fallout to deal with. Big move from the south up the northeast for a young lad thrust into this environment where he wasn't used to it, rode through a sticky patch where most people, to be fair, probably would have took him out of it and done very well at the end of the season. He'll be a better player for that. You know, Dan Neal, who was a massive feature under Lee Johnson, barely kicked the ball under Alex Neal, but in pre-season has probably been seen more than most in terms of minutes. He's going to be a big feature this year. Jamie Tetti is in the squad. Jack Clark, we've invested a lot of money in bringing him to the club now. One or two others who are incoming in terms of forwards, we believe. Young players, you know, Nathan Broadhead, Troy Parrott, players like that, who were on the 
verge of signing by all accounts. I don't see any other way forward, if I'm honest. I think that obviously you need you need experienced players in your team to be able to give that balance. It was the experience of the senior players which carried us through towards the end of last season. But this is a different kettle of fish, isn't it? This is the championship. Yes. It's a different type of league. It's not as rough and tumble as, as League One. Obviously, the standard's a lot better. I think technically you're going to see a lot better football and that'll allow players probably like Daniel to thrive. And we said that last year, didn't we? We did. So, yeah, I think we could probably do with adding experience in a couple areas, but I'm not... I'm not massively concerned. I think the overall experience of the squad right now is actually all right. Like if you go back to front, we probably need an experience back up to, to Patterson because there might be a period in the season where he's struggling, where you need to take him out of the team. And it would make sense to have somebody who's been there and seen it and done it to come in in that instance than it would be another kid. I think we, in terms of fullbacks, it seems like Lyndon Gooch is very much seen as a as a fullback under Alex Neal. But he can play left and right. He has done under this manager. So Gooch, very experienced player now. The defence, Danny Bart, he's in his 30s now. Bailey Wright's knocking 30 and been there and seen and done it, like I say. They complement the two young defenders, which we've signed, Ballard and Elise. In the midfield, you've got O'Neill, who's just about to turn 28, I think, and been at the club for five years. Corey Evans, who's either into his 30s or just about to go into his 30s and then you've got Daniel and you've got Matete so they've obviously went even last year and recruited sort of knowing that we would, if we got promoted that these players would be up to scratch um, across the front Pritchard very experienced player Roberts very experienced player Jack Clark the other side of the coin you know young untested and Ross yeah. Stewart young and untested so I think the balance is pretty much there I think all we need to do now is maybe add three or four players I think four's probably being generous. We all want more, obviously, and we want to improve as much as we possibly can, but I actually don't think the squad's that far away. People might be listening to this and scratching their head at that, but if you actually break it down like I just have, they've got to show faith in these young players, haven't they, Phil? It's the, that's the point I keep banging home, is that, yeah, okay, you could look at the midfield and go, well, is 9 going to be good enough? Has Evans got it in the tank to play regularly in the championship? Is Matete good enough for this level? Is Daniel good? Well, the only way you find out is by playing them. You know, Corey Absolutely. Evans has proven at this level. We know he can play at this level. It's whether he can stay fit. But with the, particularly Neil and Matete, Matete was signed because we thought he could play at this level. So whether he's ready now or he's ready in the second half of the season, he's in that squad. Dan Neil, I mean, we were all sat here talking about how this kid was going to be a Premier League player one day. If that's yeah. if that's genuinely still his destiny then he has to be part of this team. You know, he's been at the club for years and years and years, and we've invested all this time into him. He got a new contract. There's a reason for that. It's because we see him as part of the club's future. So whilst naturally you navigate to, well, should we not be looking at another central midfield player? If the plan is to do things the way that we're doing them right now, then no, that's not the way forward. The way forward is to put your faith in Matete, in Dan Neal, in Dennis Sergan, yeah. in Dan Bollard, and in Ross Stewart, and... Get right behind them as a football club. Not just do the easy thing, which would have been to go and sign 10 free agents like Cardiff have, all with loads of experience at this level. You yeah. know, that's not our path. I keep I keep saying this and I get why people are thirsty for new new signings, but this team we've got now went 16 games unbeaten at the end of last season. And there's a reason why we've signed Jack Clark. 
why we brought Patrick Roberts back, why we're trying to get Broadhead back. Because they were good enough then, they're good enough now. Just because they're not yeah. fresh new names doesn't mean that we're not going to be in the right place. No, it's a, it's a great point you make, Gavin. I think that, you know, we talked about the environment in the Coventry game, which is going to be, of course, next Sunday, which we'll come on to later in the pod. Um, and, you know, that's when we're going to find out exactly what these young lads have got in terms of their ability to step up. Because the atmosphere at that game, as I'm sure, will be something akin to what we saw against Sheffield Wednesday in the playoff semi-final first leg. Yeah. The stadium that's going to be raucous. It's going to be alive. There's going to be a big build-up to it, as you mentioned earlier on. It's on TV. It's a showcase, really, in many ways for, for this team and these players. So how they handle that's going to be very, very interesting. But I just wanted to just pick up on the, on the point you made there about Sean Faith. And I said that the model, and I have been saying this for quite a while, that the model that was put in place last summer, whereby we would go for young players with talent and bring them through, was the right one. Albeit it wasn't quite implemented perfectly. Maybe they tilted the balance slightly too far in favour of those young, untested players. But I think the way to go was the right one. But I think also the fact of the matter is, is that when you have these young players, they are going to go through these dips in form where they're not quite at their best, where they are struggling, where it's not quite clicking for them. And we saw it with Dan Neal last season. You know, earlier mm. in the season, you know, from August to say late October, early November-ish, Dan Neal could do no wrong. It was the same with Callum Doyle. We were t- we were raving about these lads, their future England internationals, they haven't put a foot wrong, etc., etc. And then as soon as they enter that little dip in form, they're not good enough, you know, they're slow, they're this, they're that. And I think it's that knee-jerk reaction that I don't think does the development of these lads much good. I think we have to show faith in them. And you have to just take the rough with the smooth. You look at a player like Dennis Serkin, for example, who really seems to be thriving under Alex Neal. Mm. Do you think that that attribute of Alex Neal's, whereby he can bring more out of players, is going to be key for us this season in the championship? That he can look at a player and that player walks out in front of Alex Neal and the player thinks to himself, the boss's eyes are on me here. I've got yeah. to really improve my game in order to impress him. Do you think that's something that is going to be beneficial to the team this season? Oh, hugely. I think we saw that last year, didn't we? He's just got an aura about him, which keeps everyone on their toes. Like He's been compared to other managers like sort of Peter Reid and Roy Keane and managers who've been successful here, who all had that trait, who all had that in them that just a lot of managers don't have anymore, actually. And it just seems to suit Sunderland. When you're playing down the leagues, as you know, we are still we're still in the EFL. The caliber of footballer which you have, that that style still works. Like it's very, it is, it's quite an old school trait, isn't it? In a manager for them to just sort of put the fear of God into players, and when he walks into a room, yes, he's their mate, but they also know like I can't overstep the mark. Yeah, and he's got that. He has got that aura about him. I would say that when you look at his record as a manager, he's always stuck around for a long period of time wherever he's been, and that's telling. Like to me, that is a massive, massive plus in his column. He was yeah. at Hamilton for a long time, then he went to Norwich and spent a long time there, and then spent a long time at Preston. It shows he's actually very good at interacting with his players, but he's also good at putting across the way that he does things, not just to the the players and the the fans, but obviously the people at the club who ultimately he answers to because if they weren't happy, they wouldn't keep him around as long as they have at these various clubs. So yeah. when it comes to de- when it comes to developing like young players, they come to Sunderland and there's a lot there's a lot of factors to take. And it's not just the manager, obviously it's the you, you hear it every time when a player signs for us. The first thing they talk about is the size of the club, the fans, yes. the facilities. But these are actual things that players do consider when they come to a club. It, that, that's why Sunderland are obviously um, such an attractive proposition to players. You know, Dan Ballard had numerous options in the summer and chose to come here. And that that is 
to me, that is our USP when it comes to recruiting players. It's like Sunderland, all right, we're not playing in the Premier League, but you, you might play for West Ham or Arsenal and you can come to Sunderland. The facilities are just as good. The fan bases are just as big, but we can offer you an environment where you're going to play regular football. Yeah. So those are things that really work in our favour when it comes to attracting players to Sunderland. You sort of add to that the fact that the manager is a good manager with a with a good reputation, and it's a good mix. And, and that's why last year he took a group of players which were really on the on the bottom of the barrel and and struggling for confidence. And all, although we'd had a good season at that point after a, a series of really bad results, nobody could see where any sort of positivity was coming from. And then all of a sudden we go on this massive unbeaten streak after the MK Dons game and and get promoted. The proof's there, you know. There can yeah, be no doubt absolutely. over how good he is because he'd done it with us, he'd done it with Norwich, he he had success with Hamilton, and you could argue, given the size of the budget he had at Preston, he was successful there because he was operating on probably a bottom three, bottom five championship budget and getting them close to the playoffs every year. So yeah. overall, I think he's the type of manager who players would love to play for. Might not work at the top level so much, you know, players who've got big pay packets and lots of representatives and people around them who know they can just walk into another big contract or another club. That style maybe doesn't wash, but in the championship, particularly when you're recruiting young players who, by virtue of being young, are hungrier, they've got less commitments off the pitch, holding them back, so it's, they're very ambitious still at a young age. You know, before you've you've got a wife and you've got a, a young family to think of. A lot of these lads, their only focus is becoming a successful professional footballer at a high level. So when you're yeah. signing a 19, 20, 21-year-old and they're coming to Sunderland, they're coming with lots to prove. So it's a good mix. And like I say, that that is why I'm really, really not worried when it comes to transfer business. Because to me, yeah. the business we've done already, the business we've done last year, shows that we're targeting a very specific type of player. And you know they might not be available right now because the Premier League season hasn't started. And these a lot of these lads are still playing in pre-season games and featuring as part of squads and to the current managers they still have a value so when we're talking to the players and we will be I know Ballard, Ballard and Elise and Clark they'll have all been talking to Sunderland well in advance they know what they're expecting when they come to play for Sunderland and it's that they're coming to play for a manager in Alex Neal who is very committed to developing them I think that's probably why I'm a bit more positive about things, to be honest. I don't know about yeah. you. How do you feel about it all? More importantly, like, are you along the same lines as me? Are you worried? Because I know you can sort of get stuck, can't you, in a vortex on social media and, and get the wrong it's, it's impression. A bit of a, yeah. I actually think yeah. a lot of people perhaps what see the bigger picture. It's not it's not necessarily about sort of getting players in short term. My view on it is is that obviously today was disappointing. We've had two poor defeats over the past week. But in terms of the direction the club is going, in terms of the recruitment, in terms of the way we're operating, there is a plan now. There's rhyme and reason for our transfer business. They're not just throwing fee, you know, money around where they neither like they did with Will Grigg, for example, and just hoping that something comes off. There is rhyme and reason to it now. That being said, I, I think we've got to kind of separate the fact that not getting constant updates does not necessarily equate to there is nothing happening, as, as you said. You know, you've got to, you know, I go, again, I go back to the Elise one. Nobody saw that coming. You know, Daniel Ballard had been, okay, there'd been vague rumours linking him with us, but, it, you know, he wasn't exactly a nailed on. It wasn't as if it was a, you know, he used to be spotted at the Academy of Light, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So in terms of, the, in terms of the overall picture, 
I'm quite optimistic. That being said, I also acknowledge the fact that there is work to be done, not just in the football side, but we've talked about this with the commercial, with the admin, fan engagement, etc., etc., etc. There's lots to still be done, and I think that's a good thing. I think that'll prevent people at the club from getting complacent. Um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Gav. You know, I'm, I fully back the policy that we now go for these young, hungry players who've maybe kind of got lost in the shuffle, if you like, on the Premier League conveyor belt. I know our wrote a report colleague Michael Dunn wrote about this the other day, uh, and he spoke about the fact that we've kind of been cherry-picking these players from Premier League academies, Daniel Ballard and Jack Clark being two. And I think it's a really good way of operating because these lads have certainly got the talent, but the only way they're going to fulfil that talent is with regular game time. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can offer them. And that's a massive boost for a young player. Yeah. You know, if you're a young player, you're bursting with vigour and youthful enthusiasm. You just want to get out there and play. And with Ballard and Clark, that's exactly the chance they're going to get at Sunderland. So, no, I'm positive about things, Gav, but not blinkered enough to mm. think that everything's positive and that there's nothing to be done yeah. because there is a lot of hard work still to go, without a doubt. I made this point the other day as well, and I would I did want to make it on a podcast as well, sort of talk about it a bit more in depth. But to me, when you look at how Sunderland are trying to operate in the transfer market, it's, it's as though we're targeting a group of players and making that our priority. Yes. Which a lot of clubs aren't doing. Like obviously, every there'll be about twenty clubs who are chasing Dan Ballard when he becomes available as Arsenal made him available in the summer. But not all of those clubs will have made him a priority. And I said Cardiff earlier as a as a team who went out and signed like loads of players on free transfers. And <laughs> there's no sort of like you can't work out what the plan is. Like when you look at the players yeah. they've signed, they've got players of every age group players who are big, tall, small, slow, quick. You can't look at what they've signed and say, oh, there's a plan in place. They've kind of just looked, right, we need a defender, we need a left-back, we need a right-winger. Whereas with Sunderland, where... I mean, even with this raft of um, signings we made on Friday with the under-21s team, like we're we're targeting a certain type of player. We're looking at academy sides, particularly, and we're going like, right... Who can we look at at Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, West Ham, etc., etc., etc.? Who can we take out of there who who's probably ready to play in the championship at the high end of the championship, but is never going to get that chance of playing for for the parent club? And that's what we've done. Like Ballard is a yeah. great example of that. Broadhead's another one who we brought to the club last year and gave him the experience he needed, and he's went away on pre-season with Everton and he hasn't touched the ball. And it's like, at some point, these players actually have to talk themselves and say, right, I need, I need to take myself away from this. As great as it is, and as much as I want to play for Everton or Tottenham or, or Manchester City, it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. And, and and you've got to take that leap, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to take that leap of faith. You've, and, it, and again, it's, you know, we, we often talk about players being at a crossroads in their career. And I think Nathan Broadhead, for example, as you mentioned, now he could be at that stage now where he's thinking to himself, well, am I content just to sit on the fringes at Everton and hope something will happen for me? Or do mm-hmm. I take that plunge? Do I go back to Sunderland and get regular game time and really make a name for myself? And I think it's a great point you make, Gav. It's that it's it's players balancing, you know, the need to be at a top Premier League club or the desire yeah. to be a top Premier League club with the need to get regular game time. I think it's a very valid point that you make. Like I say, we're making that a priority. Like we haven't, we're not trying to sign players in the thirties. We're not, we may well do that, but I don't think our number one, two, three, four, five choices in any given position are necessarily. You know, older players. I think what we're looking at is can we sign a player, can we sign a left back who scouts are looking at and thinking, I'm just, I used left back as an example, could be any position, but are we looking at a striker or a left back or a winger 
who scouts are looking at and going, this kid with 100 games under his belt is going to play in the Premier League. Yeah. And then we're looking at him going, is the situation right now for him to come out of that club? Can we afford him ultimately? Can we put a package together which suits both the, the selling? Because in, in a lot of cases, you know, the selling clubs, what, what they want is a, a guarantee down the line if this player does meet, because they, they know how good these players are. Like when Tottenham gave yeah. Dennis Serkin over to Sunderland, they knew exactly how good he was and how good he could be. But obviously they're not in a position to play him every week. So what they'll look at is go well, like Dennis Serkin, for instance, if he does play in the Premier League, we'll put a, you know an add-on in there. Down the line, if you sell him, we'll have a sell-on fee or the option yeah. to buy him back. Like that's how they're quite complicated the way that structure these deals. So that's how we've got to look at. This. There is a a lot to consider when you're signing a player, but the easy, that's what I'm trying to say is we haven't took the easy option. Like if we wanted a backup goalkeeper, we would have had one by now because there's lots yeah. of goalkeepers out there who would have signed for Sunderland. There's lots of wingers, there's lots of forwards who would have come to Sunderland, but. That would mean maybe circumventing your, your policy, which is to develop young players, to bring players to the club who maybe down the line we can look to sell on or improve. Obviously, those options aren't there right now, which is why things aren't moving at pace like some might want. So yeah. I'm very content in that sense. I know people will be listening to this and they'll be thinking I'm mad, but I just am. I'm, I'm not I'm not worried. I mean, as we record this, Phil, I think there's just under six weeks till the window shuts. Yeah. There's a big... Like you get, you do get very stuck, don't you, in your thoughts about how things work. Like at the minute, people are. I'm like, we asked on Twitter just after the game, what what's on your mind after watching that? I didn't ask people for positives and negatives from the performance. I'm just quite intrigued to see how, where people's minds are at. And the majority of the responses are around transfers, yeah. and that's totally understandable. Like I said earlier, like we all want some to sign more players, but there's more. There's, there is more a player than just Sunderland here. There's players, the selling clubs other offers on the table there's a lot to consider and yeah. I actually think that people should take heart from the fact that we haven't took the easy option because we could like I say we could have we could have every position filled like Cardiff have I keep using Cardiff as an example because they are if you've got Sund at one end of the scale Cardiff are at the other end in terms of recruitment yeah. policy they've literally just signed players because they need them and they want them in early and that might work for Cardiff right but that ain't the way we're operating we're at the other end we're trying to sign a certain type of player young players young promising players who we can ultimately develop and I think when that's the way you want to operate you're going to struggle to get everything you need very early which is the same yeah, thing that happened last time. summer didn't it it takes time yeah yeah yeah. I mean Ipswich last season were a great example weren't they Gav I mean we looked at them pre-season and, you know they went absolutely berserk in the transfer market they brought in players from here there and everywhere put together what looked to be a really really good almost a league one all-star mm. team in, in many respects and then obviously end of the season they finish absolutely nowhere so yeah, I think that the policy we've taken now is much more methodical and slow-burning, but ultimately the rewards of it for club and player could be much greater than if we just went A, B and C, we'll have you, we'll have you, we'll have you, come in. Hmm. If you do a job for us, fine. If not, no big deal. I think there's a lot more kind of structure to it now. And I think it, it was it was, it was was long overdue because we've had, you know, especially during the League One years, the transfer policy was scattergun at best and downright brainless at worst at times. So I, I totally agree with I, that, guy. I'd sat in on that, by the way, Phil. It's a brave route to take, like very brave. Like the, Absolutely. I, I said easy option because literally the easy option is the opposite of what we're doing. Like, we're banking everything on signing a certain type of player and it might not work. There's no certainties, really. Of course, there's always that risk. Yeah. Unless we went out yeah. and signed Ronaldo 
Haaland, Sterling, Mare. All yeah. you know, if we say the raft of top players, yeah, that's guaranteed to work. That isn't likely or ever going to happen at this level to any club. So what we've tried to do is try to forge our own path in terms of transfers. And it, yeah. it's a very, very brave approach because, like I said, nobody else is doing this in terms of making that their top priority. In the Championship, I mean, nobody's making it a priority to just look at like right young players who we can develop. Like I say, we will probably bring in experienced players, but I think the big thing I play right now, and I've already said this, is there's a lot more to consider than just Sunderland, and people have to keep that in mind. Like yeah. until the Premier League teams really start kicking into gear, which will be when pretty much when their season starts, I think. So maybe a fortnight or so. Once their season start, and hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The squads are settled and, you know, players who are hanging on the fringes of first-team squads at Premier League clubs aren't going to get a game and they've been basically told that by their clubs or they've been told by the clubs right now you can all these moves because a lot of them will have moves lined up or they'll have various options on the table it'll be yeah. like, right now you can go now you can go and that'll kick the whole probably the whole um market into gear i would think you know once yeah. players start moving there's a trickle down effect at each club Sunderland might even have one or two players we want to get rid of who we can't at the minute because we just don't like i i I'm going to hazard that we've already told Jack Diamond where he can go, because I think yeah. it was a it was probably about a month or so now, wasn't it, since the Harrogate manager came out and said that he'd been told by Sunderland that he was going to be loaned to a League One team. So yeah. there's already a yeah. you know we're holding players back now. People I've seen quite a lot of criticism for Diamond at, at Bradford, um, for the way he played and he was poor, but a lot of people saying ah Jack Diamond's never if we're not if we're playing him every week in, in the championship and. I don't actually think you'll still be here in maybe three or four weeks. I don't. Yeah. So like, and, and it's not just us. Every club's got that going on, haven't they? Where they're really in a position where they they sort of waiting for other things to fall into place before they can sign players, let players go. And normally, I've found in the last few years certainly that that sort of kicks into gear when the Premier League starts. So it might be a few weeks before we actually start seeing players come through. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, because it's, I think it's a. Fair, it's probably a fair assumption that a lot of the or most of the Premier League managers during their pre-seasons are doing exactly what Alex Neil's done with us, which is assessing the whole squad, every player in the squad, weighing up who's got it and who is who hasn't, and then saying to the lads, right, okay, well, you can move there, but you're not going yet because we still need to get the season underway, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, you're absolutely right. It is a very complicated, and a lot of teams are kind of. It's all kind of interwoven with each other, isn't it? Really, you know, they're all kind of. You know, waiting for each other to make their moves, etc., etc. There's quite a lot. Of, there's quite a lot of prem teams still playing abroad as well in tours and stuff. Exactly. 
So these players are committed till at least the teams get back to England. I think did yeah. Manu play some like Palace and I think so. Yeah, I think Villa been played Far somebody, East or didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. Quite, yeah, yeah. So it's quite a lot of Prem teams are like still abroad on tour and stuff. So, so it might just be that the players are committed till they come back to England and then they'll be allowed to move, which I think is is more likely where Sunderland are looking. Is like a Premier League squads. Well, the final point I wanted to make on today's pod, um, and obviously we'll have plenty of uh, pre-match build-up to the Coventry game as we build up towards that game next Sunday. Just wanted to get your initial thoughts on it, Gav. How you think we're going to fare? How, how excited you are about it? Because obviously Championship football back on Wearside for the first time since 2018. Um, should be a great day. Uh, what What are you thinking about it? Are you optimistic about it? Um, I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. What I am really excited about is just the, the occasion itself. Like, Sunderland finally back after what four or five years like yeah you know big crowd in the ground I think the uh, the spirit of 37 fan group they've put a lot of work in behind the scenes to ensure there's a big display and everyone's gonna have a card on their seat and all that that, sh- that should be brilliant and it should look great and we know how much that contributed to the um the atmosphere of the chef wed playoff game so I'm looking forward to the occasion more than anything it's gonna be weird because yeah. every- you're gonna have a- I think there's a Friday night game then you've got pretty much a full fixture list on Saturday and then we are the last game of the championship club. So we play obviously Sunday dinner time. So yeah. we're, we're going to have like watched everyone else get their season off and running and we're going to have to wait. So I, yeah. I actually think it'll all build up to a crescendo and once the, the players walk out onto the pitch, the display goes up and the noise erupts. I think people will forget about pre-season games and it'll just be about getting behind the lads and making sure that we win that game. And like I said before, Coventry have had a brilliant pre-season. Like, it, it, it's an interesting debate that happens every year. Do pre-season games really matter? Well, we're about to find out because we've had a very up-and-down pre-season and they've not lost a game. And if we win, what does that tell you? You know, <laughs> tells you it means nothing. Counts for very little, doesn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, aside from the fact they've had a good pre-season, Coventry have got a good side. They were just touching the sort of playoff areas last year, so they're going to be a test for us. And for whatever reason down the years, there's always been a bit of needle between Sunderland and Coventry, and I think it'll be the same. You know, it's not a derby game. That would be daft to call it anything like a derby game. But of the other 23 teams in the championship, you could probably say the, the teams we've got the most beef with are probably Borough, Coventry. So yeah. that'll all add to the atmosphere. One of the last times we played them in League One, there was a bit of bother off the pitch, and I think that's why they've had their allocation cut this time. I think it should be a, a really good occasion, and I just hope that you know the lads can carry forward momentum from last season because I think that's going to be a big factor in how this season actually plays out. How well do we start the season? Are we going to yeah. carry on sort of from where we left off, or are we going to allow the lull towards the end of these pre-season games to seep in? I don't think we will. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go out there and you're going to see what you saw from pretty much every team that went out there to play under Alex Neal last season. You're going to see a lot of heart, a lot of battle, pace, skill, players like Ross Stewart leading from the front, lads like Luke O'Nine and Corey Evans getting stuck in, Ballard sticking his head in the way. Another thing about him, he's just been great in pre-season. I'm really impressed with him. He's been really impressive. Yeah, he looks really composed. I'm, yeah. look, I'm really looking forward to see how he does in the championship. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't see why anyone wouldn't be. Because we've waited for this moment for ages. Like we have. I said this the other week and I think I wrote an editorial about it. Pretty much since, you know, I don't know, the Big Sam end of the Big Sam season. It's been crap ever since then. Into yes. like, 
we, we got relegated twice, then we were stuck in League One, and every summer sort of had the same same feelings like, are we is this the year where we're going to finally get out of League yeah. One? Well, now we're finally out of League One. We're in the Championship, and that's a thing to celebrate. Even still, let's hope, let's hope it carries over. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to end this week's podcast. And uh, thank you very much for joining me, Gav. It's always a pleasure to chat all things Sunderland with you. Absolutely, mate. We'll have plenty of material on RokerReport.com as we build up with the Coventry game. And just to let everyone know, next Friday we're also going to do a live Twitter space at half seven on Friday night uh, where we're going to chat about the Coventry game and how we're shaping up. So if anyone wants to join us, please do. We'll be promoting that as well. Thank you very much. Bye.